It is Thursday. Welcome into NSN Daily. Chris Murray, Alex Margulies behind the scenes. We're on the show. I'm Brian Samudio. A good show for you again today. We'll get into uh, Major League Baseball playoffs and one play that may have literally shifted the entire course of a series here when it comes to the Dodgers and Padres. And if you watch that game, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Bet or no bet happens every single Thursday. We uh, will break down the Bucks and the Bears as uh, we get a little bit of a rematch of the Super Bowl. Tom Brady against Nick Foles. Uh, the ski swap, the uh, University of Nevada ski swap, the UNR ski swap, as it is traditionally called, is coming up soon. We'll tell you how you can be a part of that. And a local gets another Power 5 offer in football. But before we get to Nevada football, Chris, it was beautiful. I got up this morning. It was crack at dawn. It was a little after 7. I walk outside, and I saw clouds. And it was a little crisp out. And it just gave me a little hint and hope that winter might eventually show up. Yeah, I mean, we're headed in that direction. Uh, it's, it's been nice these mornings. I usually take my dog on a walk, and the Wolfpack football team is usually out there by 7 or 8 a.m. practicing. It's kind of odd not going out to practice, which is usually my ritual every day during fall camp to try and get a better feel for the team. But obviously, media off limits and makes total sense. You don't want to be... Uh, you know, potentially compromising their bubble. So, um, you know, it's been, it's been, uh, you know, starting to feel like football weather, but uh, I wouldn't say I have as great of a feel for this year's team just because I haven't been out there and seen them in person. Like I would usually see them 25, 30 times before they play their season opener, but exciting to see football coming back and exciting to see the weather kind of turn a little bit. As it happens in every off season, uh, new faces join the program, faces that we're familiar with leave the program. Uh, they're replacing a defensive coordinator in Jeff Castile and uh, Brian Ward coming in from Syracuse. Uh, 4-3 defense. But one of the things I've liked that I've heard so far is pressing wide receivers. What were your first impressions of uh, Coach Ward coming in? Yeah, I mean, obviously he had an up-and-down run at Syracuse. He was fired halfway through last year, but they also had a number of really, really strong performances under him. They beat uh, Clemson when Clemson was top-ranked in the nation, and they also did a very good job at creating turnovers during his tenure, and that's one of the big keys to playing good college football is can you create and turnovers and things of that nature and uh, you know there was a history of it I mean this guy's been a college coach for two decades he's been at some very good schools he's been at Bowling Green North Dakota State and like you I do like the pressing on the outside actually at his zoom press conference when we got to talk to him last week I did ask about that uh, and he kind of mentioned that you know he'll, he'll go over the bio of the uh, wide receivers coach before determining how much press coverage they're going to use because a lot of times on college staffs you're basically hiring recruiters and then you're telling them just to coach a position so that might not necessarily be their strength strength, but they're going to be able to get players into your program. Other times you have great, uh, you know, tacticians when it comes to coaching wide receivers who can beat press coverage, but not a lot of wide receivers at the college level like that physicality, like to be able to beat press coverage. And a lot of it traces back to how well they've been coached. So he'll take a look at that and determine how much press coverage they're going to use. But Jay Norvell has been very open in the fact that they do want to play press coverage on the outside. They do want to get physical with opponents. They do want to make them earn their yards and not uh, give them easy throws, which uh, we got to see a lot of last season. But overall, I like the hiring. Like, I was a big Jeff Castile fan. I think he did a really good job at Nevada. Yeah, they weren't one of the better teams uh, every year uh, defensively in the Mountain West. But I think they were much more competitive than they had been the previous couple of years. But I understand the change as well. He wants to play younger players. He wants a little bit more recruiting on the defensive staff. And he wanted a different scheme. And this is clearly a different scheme, which uh, Coach Ward is going to bring to Nevada. New Nevada defensive coordinator Brian Ward was made available to the media. And Chris was able to pick his brain a little bit about what kind of defense He's going to run in the silver and blue. Here's that. To me or to the new guys? <laughs> to me, it's, I mean, it's really easy. Um, 
okay, so for the older guys, and this is something that, that, that young guys just have to, they got to go through these growing pains. Um, you know, playing, you know, before you get to college, everything is, uh, how can I say, uh, sometimes when you're coached, everything's kind of re redefined on a daily, weekly, monthly, or year yearly basis. And so when you're growing up, you know, playing in youth leagues and you go through high school, you know, some things, um, you know, in terms of coaching just aren't black and white. So that gray area is bigger in some kids' heads than other kids. Now, as you grow older in a college program, that gray area is really small. And what the coach tells you to do, you do it. And the older you get, you're usually able to get over that, lear that learning curve isn't as, isn't as steep. Uh, but for young kids, that learning curve is, is very steep because they're so used to the, you know, the coaching and the language and the terminology and what they're being asked to do is ever evolving. And, uh, but here, as soon as we can get, like I said, the older guys are learning it and I think it's easy for them. Okay. The younger guys, I think their heads are swimming a little bit. So, um, but you can teach it part, part, whole, or you can teach it whole part, part. And, you know, we're teaching it whole part, part because our, our vision is, is, you know, down the road to be the best defense in our conference. And uh, I think, you know, I, I, we have a great plan and, and that's our goal, you know, every year. What are realistic expectations for the defense this year, just given how uneven this offseason's been, you're teaching a new defense and the personnel you inherited? Do you think Nevada can have one of the two or three best defenses in the Mountain West as soon as this season? Or is uh, it? I expect, yeah, I mean, our expectation, I don't know how it can be any less, is, is, is to be the best defense in the conference. If we don't have that expectations, we don't set those goals for ourselves, then we're doing, one, as coaches, we're doing our guys injustice, and two, if, as players, you're really setting the bar low. So if we didn't have that expectation, um, that's why we're putting in all this work, is to be, to be the very best. Yeah, Chris, I agree with what you said before the, the soundbite. I like pressing receivers at the line. I don't like seeing a DB already five, six, sometimes eight yards off the line. And a quarterback, I'm stepping back. I'm just going to chuck it to my playmaker. There's no reason to, uh, to, to not go that route. You, and you see it in the NFL, but at the same time, you're not going to have an elite athlete. You're not going to come up and press Tyree Kill at all times because he's going to get by you and you're going to give up a 70-yard 70 70 touchdown. When you look at this defense yourself, and granted, we haven't been able to really see much of it, um, but on paper, the defensive line seems to be the strength. Where do you think after D-line, where you've got so many guys up front that have experience, um, maybe a couple of NFL players right there. I think uh, Don Peterson is going to be one of those guys that proves a lot of people wrong down the line. Where do you think the next position is of strength on defense? Yeah, I mean, if I had to rank them from most comfortable to least comfortable, I would start with that defensive line because you have a lot of experience and you have a superstar in Don Peterson. From there, I would probably go back to the secondary. I think the secondary has a lot of experience after last year. It wasn't a great group last season, but the majority of those guys outside of Daniel Brown come back. So you have EJ Muhammad, Burdale Robbins on the corners, and those guys should be really good this year. Uh, and then you have Austin Arnold, and you have uh, Tyson Williams, who were starting the entire season last year uh, at the safety position. So that, that area should be upgraded. And then third, I guess the least comfortable, I would say linebacker, uh, you know, they lost a ton of talent there. You have Lawson Hall. He's the only one who really has any true experience. You lost Gabe Sewell, Lucas Weber, the list goes on and on there. Um, but you know, one thing that coach Norvell and coach Ward continue to say is that they're more athletic at that linebacker position. And they really did, um, struggle to cover, uh, you know, they, they were pretty good in, in the run defense, but when they had to cover downfield, 
um, they had some struggles due to the lack of athleticism. So that's the big question is, will that athleticism be able to show just because they don't have experience on the field in college and now they're learning an entirely new scheme. So that's how I would rank them. I know Brian Ward said in that clip that he expects Nevada uh, to have the best defense in the Mountain West. I wouldn't go that far. I mean, you're talking about um, that not happening for more than a decade. The last time Nevada ranked even top 50 in points allowed per game defensively was 2010 when they ranked 31st. Since then, they've usually been the 80s, the 90s, and even the 100s defensively. So expecting that big of a turnaround, trying to teach a new scheme without having your traditional practice, I think is a bit much. But if they can be top five in the Mountain West, I think that's a nice step forward. Last year, they were tied for eighth. The year before that, they were seventh. So they haven't even really had a top five defense in its Mountain West era. If they can at least make some improvements there, um, you know, I think that will be a good step in the right direction. But I think that will even be difficult because they did lose a lot of talent in that back uh, seven. And, um, you know, while you have Don Peterson, I wouldn't pinpoint anybody else on this defense and say that guy is for sure an all-conference caliber player. Maybe Tyson Williams at safety. But Brian Ward certainly has his hands full. But, uh, you know, and especially with, you know, you have a new cornerbacks coach, you have a new safeties coach. They changed a lot of things on defense, and it just hasn't been an ideal preparation this offseason because of COVID-19. Up front and to the back side of the defense, there are some familiar faces for Wolfpack fans. The linebacking core, though, I think this is an opportunity to see some of these young names that we have seen flashes from in practices and maybe on special teams over the last couple of years. Giovanni Miranda, Lamin Toure, you've seen guys like that. Do you have a name that you think might be one of those guys that will come up and fill a spot? Yeah, and I mean, that's what Jay Norvell hopes. He was upset uh, that they weren't playing some of these younger guys. I think Giovanni Miranda is a great name. Josiah Bradley is a great name. They were high school teammates as linebackers in Arizona, which is uh, coincidentally where Brian Ward recruits. Um, and, you know, those guys didn't get a lot of playing time last year because Nevada went with the veterans of Gabe Sewell, Lucas Weber, Malik Brody, Kyle Adams, Lawson Hall. So uh, will they be able to go out there and make some big plays? That's the big question without giving up the big bust. I mean, we talk about how much we love press coverage. That's the risk. If you play press coverage and the guy gets beat, you're giving up a 50, 60, 70 yard touchdown. So um, it'll be interesting to see exactly what this defense looks like, because in uh, Syracuse, they were playing largely Tampa two style defense which is uh, predominantly a zone coverage. So if they're going to play, uh, you know, press on the outside, they can do that in a zone formation. But, um, you know, it'll just be fun to see something new. Uh, they played a 3-3-5 stack under Jeff Castile, which uh, is kind of a blitzing style defense where you don't know where the pressure is going to come from. Uh, a 4-3 in the Tampa 2 shell is pretty simplistic, but it sounds like there's going to be some twists. There's going to be some odd fronts. They'll mix up man and zone. So, uh, until they get on the field, nobody really knows. And I think that's a benefit for Nevada as Wyoming, the season opener, tries to prepare for them. Obviously, they can go back to the Syracuse film and look at that. But, um, you know, it's just a fresh slate for this defense. And I don't know that they needed the fresh slate, but uh, Jay Norvell said to be a championship caliber team, they needed improvements on defense. So that's the area that he clearly pinpointed this offseason. And he thought the growth on offense would just come internally because everybody is returning. Nevada's football season hasn't even technically started yet. It doesn't start for, you know, a couple of weeks, but we're already seeing problems in the NFL. And now the SEC is even raising its voice and saying, you need to take this seriously. I mean, the NFL is saying that there could be punishments coming down. The Titans have another positive case. Uh, the possibility of forfeits. And the SEC saying punishments and fines. Is that what needs to happen for schools to take and programs to take this stuff seriously? Yeah, it's kind of tough, right? Because you don't want to penalize a team and make them forfeit games because their players got sick. But also, are they taking the proper precautions? With Tennessee, uh, they had a practice at a high school with like 25 plus team members illegally. 
uh, when they were told not to do that after their positive cases. So if they're acting in a reckless behavior, and I think that would be reckless, flaunting the NFL rules, uh, then yeah, start taking away games from them. They're scheduled to play the Bills this weekend. They can't push that game back because the Bills play on Thursday night the following week. Um, so how are you going to make up these games unless you just build in like a two-week buffer between the postseason and the regular season, which currently isn't there? I don't think they're going to do that because they don't want to push the Super Bowl back because there's a lot of planning that goes into that. So if the Titans continue to have this issue, I would be okay with them having to forfeit games. It's not the perfect situation, um, but it's to some degree their fault. If you have 20 plus cases of COVID-19 uh, in your bubble, then you're clearly doing something wrong. So while it wouldn't be the perfect scenario, I don't know that there's gonna be much of another option outside of just saying those games are not gonna be played and we're gonna determine playoffs by uh, winning percentage, which penalizes other teams that did take the proper precautions and didn't have these outbreaks that we've seen in Tennessee. Madden, that's it. You play it over Madden. If you're the team that has to forfeit the game, you're down 21 zip to start the game. You 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 settle it over Madden like real men, right? No. Uh, coming up next here on NSN Daily, a Power Five school. Another one is uh, offered a local football and baseball star. We'll get into that story next, and how recruiting continues to be on the uptick here in the 775. You know, Chris, we've seen waves of this come uh, in my career, at least, um, where big schools come through northern Nevada and you see some get some young men and women get these big time scholarships. And then it's almost like the waves recede a little bit and people kind of forget about about northern Nevada. But um, Robbie Snelling up at McQueen High School, talented football and baseball player, uh, certainly continues to rake in in the offers. He's got well over a dozen bunch of power fives. I mean, he's got Stanford, he's got UCLA, he's got Notre Dame, he's, he's got him from all over the place. Nevada has jumped in on him, but, um, you know, it looks like he's going to get the chance to play both sports in college. And now, Virginia, the University of Virginia has, has uh, tried to throw their hat into the ring with Robbie. Yeah, I mean, he's a great story. So he was just a sophomore last year. So he just started his junior season. And you just read off that list of offers, which is incredible. He has a verbal commitment to Stanford. Uh, as a baseball player and obviously equally as good as a football athlete. I'm not sure exactly what position he would end up playing at the college football level, but he's going to have to make a lot of decisions over the next couple of years. I mean, does he want to go to college first and foremost? This is a left-handed pitcher who throws 93 miles per hour. Like he's a top 100 uh, prospect in the MLB draft two years from now, according to fan graphs. Um, so he very easily could be a first or second round draft pick in the MLB and have to make that decision on whether he's willing to turn down a million dollars to go to college. And if he does, is he going to make the decision to just stick with baseball, which might be his brighter future in terms of a pro career? Or does he want to end up trying to play both sports, which up to this point, he has kind of expressed that he would like to play uh, football and baseball at the next level in college. So, uh, you know, he's in a great position. And it's obviously because of the amount of hard work and uh, natural gifts that he was given. His father, obviously the head coach, uh, of the McQueen football team, but, um, you know, just a stellar athlete and one of four in this class who already have uh, division one offers, including three of them who had power five offers uh, during their sophomore season of high school. I remember as a sophomore, I was just trying to make it onto the varsity team down there at Douglas. And these guys are reeling in offers from Notre Dame and Tennessee and Virginia and Nebraska. Uh, it just shows you how remarkable the, the talent increase has been in Northern Nevada over the last five years or so. Yeah, I love this kid. I mean, his dad's a class act. I've known Jim for 20-something years, and, and it's crazy to see all of this hard work because it, it really it, it takes a village. It's, it's not just mom and dad. It's siblings. It's grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, teachers and coaches. Um, 
that, that really help this, these young student athletes, male or female, doesn't matter, uh, get to that level and achieve a dream. But yeah, the Snelling family, they got their cards right about here. You know, they are in such a great spot. Oh, okay. Mm, we're not going to go in the draft. Oh, go to Stanford on a full ride. Okay. That's going to suck. No, I mean, you're never going to look at Stanford or Notre Dame or any of these fine schools and go, well, I'm, really disappointed I got my degree you know and most of these uh, young players especially in football by the time they're done they have a master's because they've redshirted or gray shirted and they get through and they have a master's degree so something you can't take away but if you get a team a major league team that falls in love with you and they're saying yeah we're going to take you you know 32nd overall or whatever the paycheck that comes with that and kind of the treatment by the franchise at times you know Alex Margulies who's behind the scenes right now who could certainly tell them uh, talk more about that because that's really his expertise is minor league baseball and how these players kind of can get moved along because the team has invested so much in a player like that. But uh, uh, yeah, we'll let you know uh, any developments with Robbie Snelling. So how do you think this has happened? We've seen Jackson do Cade McNamara, Ali Cajo. I mean, now Robbie Snelling blow up and there's another two dozen I, I could name, um, but it's an hour long show. What do you think has been the major difference now, as opposed to maybe in the earlier 2000s or the late 90s, uh, granted, there's recruiting groups, there's workouts and guys traveling to workouts. What do you think has been the big factor here? Yeah, I mean, well, obviously, we've exploded population-wise. And I think the more athletes you have, the better chance you have of having those star athletes. But I do think that the infrastructure on how to get recruited and how to be able to build yourself up as a top prospect has improved in Northern Nevada over the years, whether it's like AAU football teams, seven-on-seven teams that are traveling around the West, uh, whether it's being able to go to these camps where a lot of the recruiting happens beyond just the uh, you know film during your high school games that certainly helps as well and you need to typically come from a fairly affluent uh, you know, family to be able to get out to these camps on a regular basis and have the connections. And I think once you start having some bigger names and some of these schools start coming into town, uh, you know, they might be here to watch Ali Cajo, but they might see a Cade McNamara playing against them. And then it starts to grow on each other. So uh, certainly the more big names that come out of the area, the better. Uh, you know, Kyle Van Oy was a pretty huge recruit back in the 2008 class, but then it kind of died off. Um, we've seen over the last five years that you can kind of bank on every year now, you're going to have two or three guys who are caliber of the power five and are getting those kinds of offers. And that just hasn't happened in this area before. So I think it is the training, uh, things like Duke Williams camp, things like Reno heat uh, that are certainly helping getting these guys' names out because we've always had talent like this. If you go through the history of high school sports in Northern Nevada, there's always been really, really good players. And that's why we've seen uh, more than 25 players make it to the NFL from Northern Nevada high school. It's just have they had that exposure and previously they didn't and now they are getting that exposure and I think that's the biggest reason why you are seeing the explosion is just people are taking a larger interest in northern Nevada because they've seen okay there's legitimate talent coming out of this uh, area and we need to go there if we want to go and get good players. I think one of the other final factors before we go to break is going to be some of the coaches that have coached here at the University of Nevada and came through this system and saw the talent that was here. I mean how many times do we hear of an offer going to a local player and then suddenly Washington State, Oregon, San Diego State? Okay, that's Jeff Horton, Ken Wilson, uh, Jim Mastro, those guys well, when they were all uh, working up in the Pacific Northwest together. Don't tell me for a second, Chris Klanakis, who now is at Florida AM&M. I know it's a long way to go, mm -hmm. but, you know, he'd love to get back to Churchill County and back to Northern Nevada anytime he can and look at a kid. And now Cal. I mean, you got to, you got our, our good buddy Angus McClure is over there at Cal. So I really think just the, the coaches being able to tell 
their head coaches, you know what, there's some talent up here. I want to go look at a guy. Have somebody come with me. So I'm not crazy. Do you like this guy? And let's recruit him. So, but either way, love seeing our local athletes get, get recruited. And for the, for the naysayers that say, well, Nevada doesn't recruit local players. That's wrong. That's just wrong. I mean, Robbie Snelling has been offered by Nevada. Uh, Kay McNamara was offered by Nevada. J Jackson Ledoux, Nevada offered him. So it's just getting them to stay home. You know, it, that's, that's the, really the, the toughest part. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, Joe Kelly, Chris, Joe Kelly, man, I can only imagine what it was like in your living room or man cave or wherever you're watching the game last night. And the A's stay alive and Bellinger is ridiculous. We'll go MLB playoffs next. NSN Daily rolling along here on your Thursday, Major League Baseball playoffs. Another four games today, depending on what time you're seeing this show. Uh, you know, you may have uh, one, two, or three of them already already in the books. But, uh, Chris, let's talk about your Dodgers. Um, every time they kind of get strained a little bit, every time they get, look like they're going to get put up against the wall a little bit, all they do is go out and have put up a crooked number and then just kind of glide away right now. Yeah, it was a fun game last night. Uh, pretty thrilling at the end there. They uh, put the, the bases loaded there. Kenley Jansen can't close out a three-run lead. And it comes down to Joe Kelly, who I wouldn't really want in that situation. He yeah. walked two guys, but he ended up getting Eric Hosmer to ground out for a 6-5 to five win. I, these could be the two best teams in baseball, and it's kind of a shame that they're meeting in a five-game series right now, uh, really late at night on the East Coast and not really in a marquee situation. As I've said before, I think they should reseed the playoffs. But the Padres have shown they have a ton of fight. Uh, both sides got a little frisky last night. They were barking at each other. So got the emotions involved as well. But yeah, good for me uh, to see the Dodgers be able to pull that uh, one out. That's a game that they probably lose in previous years. But I think Mookie Betts has been really, really important. He's started a lot of these rallies and he's shown how important it is to have a player of that caliber on your team. Cody Bellinger has been great as well. Corey Seager has been hitting the ball. But you got to give it up to those Padres. I mean, just because the Dodgers are up 2-0, I don't think this series is over by any means. They obviously have a lot of talent. And they obviously have a lot of fight and heart as well. Yeah, I said glide away. That's probably not the best way to say it. Um, the Dodgers just seem to have poise. And they don't panic. And this series could have been changed dramatically last night, literally on one play. I mean, Tatis absolutely crushes one to dead center. and you know what, I, I, maybe I just haven't paid enough attention to Cody Bellinger as the defensive outfielder. Um, the play kind of surprised me a little bit. I mean, I know he's an athlete, but he's so known for being a guy that, who can hit the ball all over the yard, hit it into the parking lot. Um, but unbelievable play. That might be play of the year. Yeah, I mean, he's a really talented player all around. He came up as a gold glove caliber first baseman, and that's what he played his first season, and they moved him out to right field um, because of his athleticism, and this year he's playing center field, and uh, that was a phenomenal play for sure. I mean, Fernando Tatis, that's a home run in 19 out of 30 ballparks, if you look at the metrics. Uh, you know, he hit it 415 feet. It was just Cody Bellinger making an absolutely phenomenal play and using that athleticism. He also had a home run in the game, and that's why you like five-tool players because they can impact and win a game in a variety of ways and not just at the plate. So, uh, yeah, that was a huge turning point. Obviously, the Dodgers scored some runs after that. The Padres scored some runs after that. But the Padres very likely win that game because then they're putting their best relievers on the mound and they don't give up some runs the next inning uh, if that one goes out. So uh, a lot of swings back and forth. I know the Dodgers haven't won me a World Series uh, during my lifetime, basically. I think I was, what, five years old when they won in 1988. But uh, they always give these memorable playoff moments. And that's what I like about rooting for this team is, yeah, they might not hit the 
final destination. But I remember so many classic games from the playoffs over the last eight years that they've been in there. A lot of them losses, a lot of them wins. And this was another memorable moment and uh, classic game that I'm going to remember for a long time. Fortunately for the Dodgers, it did go in their favor. Game three tonight, 6.08, first pitch uh, Pacific time uh, there in Arlington, Texas. Dodgers and Padres, Dodgers with a chance to close them out. Do I need to get on the horn with your manager, Dave Roberts, and go, why haven't you used Jake McGee? Yeah. Spanish Springs product has been phenomenal. He's got 33 strikeouts, just three walks in 20 innings pitched. He hasn't even used Jake in the postseason. It's been interesting. Uh, I wouldn't have put Kenley in in that situation. Kenley's throwing 88 mile per hour cutters that aren't cutting, and that's basically batting practice for these guys. Um, I think you're going to see a change there. I don't think he'll be closing, so you might see Jake in some more high leverage situations. He's actually made an interesting change this year. So he was waived by the Rockies, uh, basically in their little training camp, and he landed with the Dodgers, and the Dodgers just said throw fastballs. So he's just throwing fastballs. He's kind of gotten away from his other pitches, and he can be a literal fly uh, fly ball prone, uh, and maybe that's why you're not seeing him because he can give up a home run or two. But I think in this ballpark where the ball doesn't travel, I think he would be a good fit. So he's going to pitch some innings for the Dodgers in this playoff run. Uh, I think it would be really, really cool if he made the, the last out in a World Series clinching game. Um, but he, he will factor in at some point. I do think that your Joe Kellys and your Kenley Jansons are going to kind of be shuffled out of high leverage situations. And, uh, you know, J Jake will make an impact at some point. Oakland A's uh, kept their series alive against the Astros um, on Wednesday. Uh, do you think that this gets closed out today? I mean, they showed a lot of perseverance in that one. I mean, they could have folded up when the Astros shot ahead of them, but they made a rally in the seventh, eighth, ninth innings. A ton of home runs in that series, a ridiculous amount of home runs with a lot of power going on at Dodger Stadium. Uh, I do think the Astros are going to win the series, though. Um, you know, they're very equal teams. The A's are probably a little bit better, but you give anybody a 2-1 advantage, and that's such a big lead. Uh, you know, Zach Greinke might factor into it at some point if his arm is feeling a little bit better. Uh, Liam Hendricks went three innings, uh, the A's closer, last night. Um, so will they be able to continue to extend him like that? They are burning up their bullpen a little bit. So I, I do like the Astros uh, to win this series and move on to the next round. Oh, the irony. This, I'd love to see him in the World Series. I, I know you would. I know you would love to see Dodgers Astros in the World Series again. Um, I, we'd have to, we would have to put you on the shelf, man. I don't know if your head, head could handle it. We'd have to say, all right, Chris, you're on mandatory vacation until this series is over. I don't know if we, if we could let you do it. Coming up next year on NSN Daily Bets or No Bet, that comes out every single Thursday. We'll talk a little Thursday night football, Bucks and Bears. It is Thursday. That means bets or no bets. Uh, you know, well, Chris, we've done this uh, segment talking about would you swim with sharks? Would you jump out of a plane? Now that we have sports to bet on and talk about, we're going to talk about sports. And I actually have gotten some very, very kind uh, messages on email and social media from people going, hey, thanks for breaking down some of these betting lines. I don't know how accurate I've been this year. I've either been right on the line or completely out the window. So, uh, Thursday night football, 520 p.m. Uh, kick on Fox uh, Buccaneers and the Bears. So a rematch of that Patriots-Eagles Super Bowl between Tom Brady and Nick Foles. Uh, yeah, I like the uh, Bucks in this. I want to bet on them. They're only a three-point uh, favorite. Uh, I'm not big on the Bears. Like, Nick Foles did not look good last, uh, last game, his first start 
in Chicago, uh, Tom Brady. He, he's been a little bit prone to the pick sixes. I think he has four of those in his last seven games, but also threw five touchdowns last week. So, uh, you know, he's he might not be prime Tom Brady, but he's still a very, very good quarterback. So the quarterback disparity is huge. Uh, you do have Tampa Bay on the road on a Thursday night game, and I think that is usually a pretty massive disadvantage. But I thought the line would be much bigger than uh, Bucks minus three. So uh, I'm going to put all of my money on Tampa Bay in this one. I agree with you on this too. I was pretty surprised when I looked at the line this morning and it was just a field goal. Uh, the over under though, I don't think I would touch over under is 44 and a half. Yeah. I'd probably go over if I'm picking on that one, but I don't, I don't count on the bears scoring much more than, you know, 10 points or so. Um, yeah. So if, yeah, if I did, did a parlay, I would go bucks over, but that, that line seems pretty fair. It is a little low, but um, the Bears defense is, is very good, and uh, I just don't have enough trust in their offense. They're, they're going to be able to put up any points. Now, Nick Foles did look pretty good in his game two weeks ago when he came off the bench, but uh, he's always seemed like he's better as a reserve than as a starter. When he comes in off the bench, it seems like he'll give you a little bit more than when teams have a chance to game plan for him. He is very dependent on his offensive line, and the Bears offensive line is not above average. So, um, you know, that, that's, a, that's a good line, but I, I'd probably go over if uh, forced to make a bet on that one. Yeah, I wouldn't touch it, uh, mainly because Tom is throwing the ball to the wrong team sometimes, and when he does, it seems like it's a DB in the flat, and he goes back the other way 40 yards for a touchdown. And Nick Foles, I don't know if he has his feet under him yet because he's literally coming in and, and has played very, very limited snaps for the Bears. But uh, either way, Bucks and Bears on our sister station, Fox 11 tonight, 5.20 p.m. kickoff. If you want to check that out, that is bet or no bet. Coming up after the break, the UNR Ski Swap is back. How you can get some gently used ski gear for really, really good prices until you wear and win. You know, there's not a ton of snow on the hills right now. You're not going to be able to get the skis out just yet, but you can be prepared. The uh, UNR Ski Swap is uh, coming back October 9th through the 11th. Uh, it's at the Reno Sparks Convention Center. Uh, new and used skis, snowboards, boots, winter clothing, equipment available for sale and proceeds of the sale benefit, the University of Nevada ski and winter sports teams. Chris, have you ever bought gear at the ski swap? No, I have not. I've only been skiing once in my life, so I haven't had much use for it. I think we just did uh, some rentals, went up to Heavenly, did a couple of runs. I was probably about 15 years old and I've never been back up there. So definitely wasting our great natural resources here and not uh, getting a little bit more into skiing and snowboarding. I was talking with uh, our director, Anthony Resnick, uh, a couple of days ago. He's uh, you know gotten into the skiing and the, the snowboarding. We were talking about uh, pros and cons of it. He says he likes going up to Donner Ski Ranch and kind of advise that place. But I do have two young kids and they've never done it. So it probably would be cool to have a family outing at uh, one of the more beginner uh, places out there and maybe get some uh, you know rentals or go get some some used gear and see if they uh, they like it because it's a uh, this you know it's hard to find better places to ski than northern Nevada and uh, kind of unfortunate that I haven't taken much advantage of it during my life. Our own Alex Margulies, who I would wager is the best member of the media in the market when it comes to skiing, I would say you want to take on the, the Honu. I challenge that. I put my money on Alex. Alex, yeah, unmute yourself, man, because he's directing our show. How much are you itching to get on the on the slopes, man? And two. How much of a deal is it when you go to the ski swap? You can get some great deals. It's great, actually. Uh, Julian last year picked up a pair of skis and got a really nice pair. I believe it was some Rosignols uh, yeah. that he was all about. So he got a great deal on, on some skis that were maybe a year or two old and, and you know probably got them for half as much as he would have spent if he bought them brand new. 
the itch factor is is probably a 9.5 at this point. I mean, after all the smoke and stuff, like like you said, you got a little bit of the chill in the air. I'm like, all right, is it is it finally starting to come? And and uh, it's weird though. Every year since I've lived here, even going back to when I lived in Modesto, I've had a ski pass, but I actually have not purchased a season pass for this year, you know, with all the weirdness that's going on with COVID, I just haven't been able uh, to, to pull the trigger and figure it out. But, um, you know, I think you guys know one way or another, I'll find, find a way on the mountain and uh, find a way to get some skiing in this year. But I am still like kind of wrestling as to what I want to do when it comes to a season pass. So that's, that's my big dilemma right now. Yeah. Uh, it, it's funny. Uh, I will miss, and I hope that, I hope we can get back into that type of normalcy. Uh, you know, in the years past, Chris, we've been able to have Alex or Julian or Rez or all three up at the top of Squaw Valley and give us a ski report, you know. I mean, it, Coop Cooper, we haven't been able to talk to Coop mm -hmm. Cooper, uh, you know, there at the, at the hippie house in a while. And it's, I want to get back to some normalcy. And, and I think we all do right now. Uh, when this always comes up when we talk about this event, uh, the University of Nevada has such a great history with its ski teams, downhill cross country uh you know Katarina Honushova years ago was was one of the best on the in the world and uh you know what what is how big of a tragedy is it that this university university does not have a full-fledged men's and women's ski team yeah their first national championship uh was won by Pat Myers in the downhill in 1954 you actually look at Nevada the majority of their individual national championships have been won by sports that no longer exist on campus. You're talking about skiing, you're talking about boxing, you're talking about rifle, you're talking about outdoor uh, and indoor track and field on the men's side. So it is kind of a shame that a lot of these storied programs don't have the opportunity to continue to build the legacy and continue to give high school kids who excel in their sports an opportunity with the Wolfpack. But financially, I mean, I just don't see any sports ever being added again. Uh, you know, you're talking about a skiing program um, that was really, really successful, but there were only like 15 or 20 division one uh, ski programs in the nation. So it's kind of hard to sponsor a sport when it just isn't robustly offered across the nation. And it makes sense because there are so few campuses that are that close to ski hills. But yeah, that decision was made by Carrie Groth and her administration, um, you know, more than a decade ago at this point. Uh, and it's not a, you know, a decision that Carrie wanted to make by any means, but we were going through the Great Recession uh, back in the late 2000s, early 2010s, and uh, they had to cut something. It saved them a couple million dollars a year. Um, they did honor those scholarships for the kids to finish. And uh, it's been nice to see that it has been able to continue and move forward as a club sport. Um, but it is just different when you're not competing at that NCAA Division One level. It just maybe doesn't have the same uh, luster. It's harder to recruit and things of that nature. So it would take some kind of a benefactor to say, okay, university, I'm going to give you a million and a half a year for the next five years written on paper if you bring back this program. Uh, you know, it'd be really cool if you saw the ski resorts kind of team up. Maybe they all give $200,000 to do it, but obviously they're in a different situation uh, with last year's ski season not being great and this one being unknown, that I don't know if that's ever going to happen. But uh, yeah, if, if you could add one program that you could say, okay, can compete nationally against other programs uh, with the Wolfpack, that would probably be skiing just because of how unique this area is to its natural resources to allow um, you know, uh, members to, to be able to go up there and ski every single day and compete against the nation's best. Oh, and you'd be able to recruit so much local talent. And it's been said over and over again, you know, you look at... Uh, the, the Tahoe region, North Tahoe, Truckee, um, all around the lake. I mean, we've got gold medalists that were born, you know, literally a half an hour, if not closer to the University of Nevada. So, it, yeah, I, I really wish that that 
somebody could figure that out, but I understand too. It all takes money. And uh, you, you like to spend a little bit of money, segue into October 9th, it goes 4.30 to 9 p.m. October 10th, 10 to 6. October 11th, 10 to 3. This is going to be at the Reno Sparks Convention Center uh, across from the Atlantis rooms A1 through 6. Just follow the signs. Parking admission are free. Chris, before we jump off of this, what if Dominic came to you and said, Daddy, I want to go skiing? I mean, is he more of a sledder? I mean, he's more of a sledder. That's it. Yeah, we've done a lot of sledding. Uh, he really does enjoy that, and that's been really, really cool. Uh, Boreal has a really great hill um, that we've gone to a couple of times. But, you know, I'd love for them to do it. I know it's a little bit more of an expensive sport, but, um, you know, you can do it pretty cheaply, and th there are places around town um, that it would make a lot of sense. So, uh, yeah, I would be all for it. Uh, you know, I didn't get into it myself personally, but uh, if he wanted to do it, I would, I would love to go up there with him and, you know, spend a weekend. It's, it's kind of sometimes been tough because you got Nevada football going on and things like that on weekends. But uh, this is obviously an unusual year. So I might be able to get up there. If he does, I'll take a video. I don't know that he's going to be the next David Wise, but I'll, I'll try and take a video and we can get it on the show, him falling down, because he does enjoy falling down. So uh, that's something that he does around the house. I'm sure you wouldn't mind doing it on some snow. Good stuff. Coming up next year on NSN Daily, we're hearing plans when it comes to tickets and fans being at the Reno 1868 playoff match on Saturday night against LA Galaxy 2. We'll have some details for you in our final segment coming up. Welcome back to NSN Daily. Uh, getting some news today about uh, Reno 1868 FC. They were hoping, Chris, to be able to bring in 700 fans. It looked like with the governor's announcement that they were going to be able to do it. I know that they've been preparing. We're hearing that they've been taping off social distance areas and clunk that's not going to happen but there will be fans in the stands just not as many as they wanted yeah 250 so obviously governor sisolak upped the large gathering number uh from 50 to 250 and then did give the 10 percent of fixed uh, seating at larger venues but it sounds like that's almost been an impossibility to get the what may, many may have thought was a rubber stamp to get up to that 10%. Obviously, we saw Nevada football say, uh, you know, a couple weeks out that they're not going to have any home fans beyond just family at their fo uh, first football game. And now you have Reno 1868 FC saying that they didn't get the approval to get up to their 700 fans. That would have been 10% capacity. So very disappointing. I mean, these are guys who have literally been working on this for months and months and months to try and be able to get some of these uh, uh, supporters of Reno 1868 FC into their stadium and while there will be some at 250 it's not what they had been working for they've been working for 700 uh, and uh, unfortunately just hasn't been approved in time for this week's game uh, you know maybe if they make a deep run they'll be able to hit that 700 number but you know I think this kind of throws into the doubt Nevada football moving forward as well because if uh, you know, Reno 1868, which has put in all the legwork on this and had these examples presented to Washoe County Health District, can't get the approval. Um, you know, what's to say that Nevada is ever going to get the approval even a couple uh, weeks down the road? So um, I know there's been a bit of an outbreak at UNR and that probably will play a factor as well. But, uh, you know, I think everyone got super excited when Sislak said 10% and everybody thought, OK, done deal, let's do it. Uh, and now you're seeing nothing at Nevada football, nothing at Reno 1868 FC, maybe nothing at Lawler Event Center. So I'm sure they'll continue to work. But at this point, a disappointing result for, uh, you know, a group of people who had been working really hard to get their fans into their building. Yeah, we're going to have uh, Reno Aces and Reno 1868 FC President Eric Edelstein on the show tomorrow. Hopefully you shed some more light on this. We do know that out of the 250 fans that will be able to be at Greater Nevada Field on Wednesday, uh, it's going to be a, via a lottery system through their season ticket holders who we believe they'll be contacted or have already been contacted to be there. Um, 
Chris, I don't, I don't want to be the one of those guys that that's, I've said it on the show before, play hooky and go fishing or something like that. Um, I, if I'm Reno 1868 fans, you just gather socially distanced outside greater Nevada field and just bang on pots and pans and sing and chant. I would just watch the game at NSN personally. Uh, that, that's where I'd go. But no, yeah. I mean, if you want to be part of the experience, right? Like it's one thing watching a game on TV and it's another thing doing it in person and feeling the emotions of a stadium uh, and being, you have this feeling like you're actually making an impact on the game, right? Uh, whether you're in the first row banging on something, whether you're talking some trash to a player, uh, whether you're a Lawler event, or, uh, event center screaming as loud as you can so that the other team can't communicate well. Like, there's just a different feeling when you're in person. I think the goosebumps are stronger. The emotions uh, just go to your, your chest and your heart even more. So, um, you know, it's just not the same when you don't have that, both as a fan and as players. So, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Obviously, we've seen a lot of supporters go out to regular season games, so I'm sure there will be people out out there uh, trying to make their presence felt and uh, you know for a lucky 250 they will get uh, you know within the, the the doors as well if you want to check it out here on NSN uh, yeah it's going to be Saturday night Alex Margulies on the call Reno 1868 FC against the LA Galaxy 2 in first round of playoff playoff actions in the USL uh, to get back to Nevada football before we go just a couple minutes left in show where's your confidence level if you are Jay Norvell if you are President Sandoval. And, you know, President Sandoval, that was pretty bold. Basically, one of your first movements is no fans, and this is why. He always would explain, you know, that's just the way that he type, type of, you know, leadership you saw. But if you're Coach Norvell or, or front office administration, where's your confidence level that you're going to have fans? It wouldn't be high at this point because it doesn't seem like there's been a lot of dialogue back and forth with, okay, here's our plan. What can we tinker with? It's not like, okay, do this, this, and this, and then you'll be approved. It's more like, you know, can I get a call back? Can I get a you know, phone call back? Can I get an email back? Can I get more direction on what we have to do to be able to satisfy your requirements? So, um, you know, it, it felt like it was a slam dunk, but it, it doesn't certainly seem like that point moving forward. If you're Jay Norvell, you can't worry about it. You just got to worry about your team. Uh, very thankfully, they're going to be able to have family of the players there. I think that's the most important thing for the family to be able to support their kids and be able to watch them live. But um, yeah, it's not as high certainly now as it was at the beginning of the week. At the beginning of the week, I probably would have said nine out of 10. And now it's probably like a four out of 10. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, I, I understand it to some degree, right? You're trying to make sure that this doesn't spread, that we're able to get rid of this as quickly as possible. But being outside is just a different thing. If you're outside with a mask on and you're socially distanced and there's 700 people in greater Nevada field, I think you can do that safely. If you have 2,700 people at Mackey, I think you can do that safely. So not a great confidence level, but hopefully they continue to work and they get a good uh, resolution. And of course, we are still monitoring uh, football schedules and TV plans, and uh, nothing has been announced as of uh, now, as of Thursday midday. But we will continue to monitor this, and whenever we receive the information, we'll pass it along to you. For Alex Margulies uh, behind the scenes and Chris Murray, I'm Brian Samudio. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you tomorrow.